they're ambitious. Salem truly I feel like Salem like secretly is basically just trying to plan an elaborate escape <laughs> at all times he As loves all cats are. being outside yeah he's like these people are holding me hostage and I <laughs> will meow incessantly at the door to make sure that they let me outside at least once a day let me out me out yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Blair. And I'm Kirsten, and we are Mediocre Content. And it's another week. That's all I can say about this one. (laughs) There are good weeks, and there are bad weeks. I mean, honestly, this, like, July 4th week has been the longest, shortest week ever. It's true, though, because it's like some people had to work Monday. Some people were off Monday. I had a half day, but then I was off Tuesday. But then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday just felt like it dragged. I agree. I worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I was Mm -hmm. off Tuesday and Thursday. So Mm -hmm. I have no idea what day it is anymore. Who are you again? I don't know. (laughs) It's a mess. I've lost myself. (laughs) Um, Well... I'm excited about today um, because I don't think, and I don't even know, is the Grand Canyon considered part of this? If so, Mm. that's the only uh, national park I think I've ever been to. Yes. The Grand Canyon is a national, is part of a national park. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. Yes. Well, I say we run it. Let's, let's do it. All right. Let's do a disclaimer first. So we are not experts on anything. Majority of this information for this episode was taken from the um, National Park Service website. Feel free to check that out when you have a minute. Um, But if you have, if you've come to this podcast to get any kind of advice, we are not a place to get that info. Um, But we are the place to learn about things that you wouldn't normally know about. So, uh, (laughs) but we encourage you to do your own research. Okay. Please You guys know this by now. It's the spiel. It's the spiel gotta say it kirsten would be doing the the news today and should i do the kirsten science corner jingle are, are you i didn't know okay i'm gonna sing it it's mine. okay it's, all right it's, yeah ready go for it kirsten science corner that was oh, great okay <laughs> <laughs> it was okay that on beautiful that was great <laughs> i'm so ready um okay. it is topical it is science related yeah I actually specifically looked for science this time. Um, I didn't know you were going to do a jingle, but I'm kind of yeah, glad it no, happened that way. That's the jingle from now okay. on. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. I'm holding you to it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, our first bit of good news is actually coming from researchers at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Uh, and these beautiful, brilliant people have created a biodegradable material that could be used for food packaging instead of plastic which we know is a big problem, obviously, something we're trying to combat. Uh, These um, brilliant minds are going to be making this transparent, biodegradable, and edible material, particularly with bacterial cellulose, which is an organic compound derived from bacteria. Obviously, it's what's called bacterial cellulose. (laughs) If you're wondering what cellulose is, think about lettuce. Yes. Because <laughs> lettuce is literally just cellulose and water. Yes. And it's crunchy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. Uh, in a study published in the Journal of Science of Food and Agriculture, the scientists wrote that bacterial cellulose does not react well to moisture in the air. So they added a soy protein to the material and coated it with an oil resistant composite, which solved that issue, which you don't want it to completely break down while it's holding your food. That would kind of suck and defeat mm, the purpose. That would kind of suck. Yeah, <laughs> It's like the uh, the paper straw situation. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started on those stupid straws. <laughs> straws just uh, don't even give me one at that point I, if i right. wanted to eat melted paper with my soda you know you don't you don't like that it doesn't taste Bro. yummy to you it doesn't add to the <gasps> texture of your drink i was already a texture problem person that just <laughs> amplified it a thousand i feel like i'm using a sweaty sock to suck my soda Ooh. in my mouth gross <laughs> anyway we're just gonna breeze on by that um 
The authors of this study said that this approach offers a promising solution to the challenge of developing sustainable and environmentally friendly packaging materials that can replace single-use plastics on a large scale. The material can completely degrade in two months, and since it's edible, is also wildlife safe. And it's natural. I mean, cellulose is natural and bacteria is natural and soy proteins are oh you guessed it natural (laughs) so we love that kind of solves itself and i think that's brilliant i think so too nice Um, as far as production goes i don't really know where that's leading but hopefully they'll be able to share that information at some point maybe it'll become mainstream which means if it's mainstream it'll also become more affordable as the market integrates it which is another big factor to a lot of these changes yeah Um, I think one thing that people don't consider uh, when there's a new product that's, again, sustainable and helpful, uh, a lot of initial startups are very costly for the materials Mm -hmm. because it's not something that's just readily available necessarily or it takes certain conditions or what have you. But because plastic is such a large commodity already and so readily available and cheap because of that, that's why it's so wildly used. So, you know. Got to integrate it in first. Once it catches steam, then it becomes more affordable. So it's kind of like what happened with the um, fake meat situation. So Mm -hmm. like the Impossible Burger and Beyond Burger and like those companies, it was really expensive at first. But I think the price has actually come down now since it's so widely available. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which is great. Same difference. Yeah. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. They're working on it. They are. uh okay we're now gonna talk about uh kelp <laughs> which great <laughs> the title the title is kelp farm run by nuns and indigenous women which i'm intrigued i yes. this is great <laughs> as soon as i read that title i was like ah yeah i gotta get that you, you know? gotta do this one. <laughs> so uh they're doing this in order to clean polluted uh water uh so women from and I'm so sorry if I pronunciation is not my strong suit, people. All right. Women from the Shinnecock tribe and the sisters of St. Joseph are working together to clean up the Long Island Bay they call home. Because of fertilizer runoff and overdevelopment, nitrogen levels in the bay skyrocketed, which would kill fish and selfish, you know, things that people are eating, yep. <laughs> obviously, and consuming. Yep. Kind of a big deal. And uh, these people have lived on the east side of the bay for thousands of years. And in 2019, six women from this tribe went across the bay to visit the retreat owned by the Sisters of St. Joseph's, a.k.a. where the nuns are from. And they asked the nuns if they would be able to help start a kelp farm, as research shows that sugar kelp specifically will absorb nitrates and carbon from the water, which could be a natural way to help clean up this runoff problem. Uh, the sisters agreed and a partnership was born. A cottage at the retreat is now a hatchery. And the last two years, 20 lines of kelp have been planted in the bay and they've already spotted changes in the water with scallops, seahorses, clams, and other species finally returning. Nice. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also helpful. So I don't know if this kelp can only survive in that kind of environment. Uh, Long Island Bay, I believe, is saltwater. So... Uh, I don't know if this kelp is specific to saltwater, but obviously if there's like uh, rivers or ponds or lakes around other farms across the states, if this Mm -hmm. kelp can do it, I wonder what other type of plant populations might be able to do that because this might be another sustainable way to help outside of a saltwater environment. Yes. Just something food for thought. (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, But that's all I got. So I love it. Yeah, but so we're going to continue in nature, which is great. We are. So <laughs> I just remembered that last week mm. I did the good news and my mm-hmm. second story also had to do with national parks. Yeah. And so I feel like that's a lovely little preview like, of what you're going to be getting today. Today, we're going to be doing a more in-depth national parks episode. Um, but we're going to start with background. Nice. So the national parks have actually been around for a very long time. It was a really early idea for the country. Um, on August 25th, 1916, President, President Woodrow Wilson signed the Organic Act, creating the National Park Service. And that was just to create the National Park Service, not the actual national parks. We'll get to that mm-hmm. in a few minutes. Um, but basically, it was the 
the definition of the National Park Service is a federal bureau in the is a subset in the Department of Interior um, responsible for maintaining national parks and the monuments that were managed by the department. Can I do a segue really quickly? Sure. Go I'm ahead. So sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I love the Department of the Interior. It's very personal mm-hmm. to me because for my UX UI design boot camp, I actually redesigned their website. <laughs> wow. Oh my <laughs> it's gosh. So random and like one off. That's amazing. We did a whole project where we had to pick a nonprofit, um, like uh, government kind of website. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the one that I chose. And I did a whole I, redesign for them. <laughs> the more I know about the Department of the Interior, the more I love them. Honestly. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't love their website. It's char- It's absolute garbage. <laughs> like most government <laughs> oh, websites. No. <laughs> but they themselves oh absolutely lovely. <laughs> oh, good. Love that. Sorry to, the be na- to be The National Park Service website was actually not that bad. Good. Um, It was somewhat well organized but like you really had to dig to get some stuff so yeah but like overall I think it was very it was it was good I got the information I need to get so hey that's honestly you would not have the same experience on the department of the interior <laughs> website oh no you click one thing and suddenly you're on 20 different websites and you're like how did I get here uh, oh god <laughs> I keep going so okay all right so <clears throat> Uh, the national park system has since expanded to 424 units, often often referred to as parks, more than 150 related areas, and numerous programs that assist in conserving the nation's natural and cultural heritage, for the benefit of current and future generations. Nice. So, the National Park Service manages 424 individual parks covering more than 85 million acres which to put that in perspective the united states in total is 2.43 billion acres total like the whole united states so 85 million of that is a national park of some kind intense yeah (laughs) which i think is really cool because i learned this summer uh, as we were moving out here, we did, we looked at, or we went to a bunch of different national parks and saw a bunch of really amazing things. And I didn't really realize this, but like the U S our part of our tourism draw is national parks, which mm-hmm. I didn't really, that never clicked for me. Cause you live here. Um, Cause I live here and I didn't realize that other countries don't really do the national park thing. I think Canada does because they have so much like open space in the middle there. That would make sense. Um, But like, yeah, I just, I, for some reason that just never occurred to me. So anyway, (laughs) we got the national parks. Come see us for the national parks. (laughs) That is my, (laughs) that is my uh, pitch. uh, For US tourism? Yeah. Sponsor. (laughs) National park sponsor. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. So let's see. Where was I? I'm sorry, you guys. I am struggling today. That's fine. <laughs> While there are at least 19 naming designations, they, these units or parks are commonly referred to as parks. Beautiful. Multiple parks may be managed together as an administrative unit within the National Park Service. Um like parks within parks yeah so everything is divided up into different regions oh okay so i think that's what they're talking about is like so there's multiple different parks in each region okay okay i got confused for a second (laughs) parkception (laughs) all right so um the national park service is a bureau of the united states department of interior we know this already and it's led by the director nominated by the president. So it's hmm. um, and then confirmed by the U.S. Senate. So the Depart- the Department of Interior obviously is one of the cabinet positions that the mm-hmm. president designates. Um, the director is supported by senior executives who manage national programs, policy and budget in the Washington, D.C headquarters and then seven regional directors responsible for national park management and program implementation. Wow. Yes. That's more than I thought. Later in the podcast, we'll be going over that a little bit more. Okay. Um, because I have a fun chart. I'm excited to see. <laughs> um, okay. So the mission of the National Park Service 
um, is pre to preserve the natural and cultural resources and values of the national park system for the enjoyment, education, and inspiration of this and future generations. The park service cooperates with its partners to extend benefits of the nat natural and cultural resource conservation and outdoor recreation throughout this country and the world. Okay. Cute. Um, they have 20,000 employees. Jeez. Indeed. It's actually a lot. <laughs> I know. And <laughs> the they they have a emblem. So like the mm -hmm. national park logo mm -hmm. is an arrowhead. Um, and it is it was made official in 1951. Um, so it's an arrowhead with a sequoia tree and a bison, and then like mountains in the background. Cute, very very cute. And, yes, and so the bison and the sequoia tree represent vegetation and wildlife. The mountains represent. Um, scenic and recreational values in the arrowhead representing historical and archaeological values. Oh. So the origin of the national park idea. Here we go. This is, <laughs> this is the thing. The concept of the national park was one of the most popular ideas in the United States ever produced. It stemmed from the desire to protect special places for visitors for present and future enjoyment. Jeez. Since so Yellowstone was the first park. Um, it was designated in 1872. The con the concept of what constitutes a national park has expanded since then. Mm -hmm. The original focus on natural wonders has evolved to include sites that chronicle human history, educate, and elevate quality of life. So now it's not just like what you think of when you think of Yellowstone, which is like the mountains and the bison and the waterfalls and all that. Um, it's more a national park or something under the national park service could be like the Washington Memorial or, huh. you know, um, a significant battleground site or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be a beautiful, miraculous, like wonderful place. Makes it interesting that other countries, well, I, again, I don't know how many are, or are not doing this, but I wonder if, if it's so popular like here, I'm, it's interesting that there isn't like a, like, I guess it would take a lot of planning. So maybe this is just a little like, oh, a dream. <laughs> but Well, it's interesting it's... that there isn't like an international park service. You know what I mean? Yes. But I have two things to say. First thing is <laughs> the United States is very large compared to a lot of countries. Yes, you're right. Second, Secondly... Um, we're also very young compared to a lot of countries just and we right. We're just a baby. <laughs> and somehow we came up with the idea of preserving our land to a certain extent, mm -hmm. um, at, in our infancy, whereas smart. I, I feel like a lot of the other, like a lot of the European countries, for example, yeah. have like a ton of history going back into ancient Rome and they weren't thinking about national parks in ancient Rome. You know <laughs> maybe what I they mean? should have. <laughs> I mean, maybe they should have, Who, you know, they were more of the Coliseum vibe, which I mean, do honestly, do. not that bad. <laughs> honestly, fire. honestly, vibes. <laughs> Did, hey. you see that thing? Did you see that thing where um, Mark Zuckerberg and um, Elon Musk said they were going to fight each other? And then the Coliseum was like, we'll we'll let you use the Coliseum <laughs> if you want. Honestly, that could be a national park. It's a monument. I think so. You know, yeah. that's the beginning. This is the big, you know what? We're going to start the International Park Services Mediocre okay. Content Podcast. And we would just... We'll just make a bunch of shit up and we'll just put it all together into one and be like, this is what, you know, like if you're in Europe, you should go see this. If you're in Africa, you should go see this. And that's what we'll do. Plot twist. Isn't that just like a tourism site? No, basically? it's different. It's, 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 for, it's protected no, land. This <laughs> no, this is Patrick. Don't, don't, don't poop on my dream. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Okay. All right. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> it was our idea first. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh man. Uh, well, that's great. Okay. Yes. 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 Uh, um so. Um, let's see, where was I? The so 
the grandeur of the American West inspired the idea of national parks, which honestly driving through here through the United States to get out to the West Coast, I I thought I was on a different planet at some point. It's gorgeous. Like it's yeah. fabulous. Um and growing up on the East Coast, I didn't really realize like mm-hmm. the amount of stuff like <laughs> geologically. There's is so out much here. stuff out there. So much stuff. <laughs> um so vast landscapes, um, still untouched by development, filled the eye. Artists, <laughs> authors, and scientists struggled to capture the beauty they encountered and record <clears throat> and to record and share their discoveries. But what would happen when westward westward expansion arrived on the doorstep of the wilderness? So we when the gold rush happened and all that stuff, like we would mess it up, right? Oh, absolutely. A thousand percent. First thing. (laughs) So artist George Catlin during an 1832 trip to the Dakotas was perhaps the first to suggest a novel solution to this fast approaching reality. Indian civilization, wildlife, and wilderness were all in danger. Mm -hmm. And unless they could be preserved by some great protecting policy of the government, um, in a magnificent park, a nation's park containing man and beast, all the wilderness and freshness of nature of their nature's beauty. He said in a quote, that's gorgeous. So I would also just like to acknowledge very quickly that, um, the native American population was not dealt with in a great way during that time. Yes. Um, and, yeah, I just I I just want to acknowledge that that was yeah we messed up as a country at that point. It wasn't great. Yeah, it was not good. Yeah. Um, but the preserving of the national park, I appreciate. Yes, that 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 was a good idea. Yes. <laughs> um, so encouraged by art, literature, and science, a powerful preservationist viewpoint gradually emerged. Even without a national policy or one desig- or one designated agency, individual sites won one protection. So in 1861, Congress appointed Ferdinand Hayden, head of the government's new geolog- geological survey, to lead a fact-finding expedition to the region at the at the headwaters of the Yellowstone River. The area situated in Montana and Wyoming territories had been in an had been an attraction for explorers, trappers, and prospectors since the late 18th century. There are numerous accounts of its strange features, geysers, hot springs, and holes of bubbling mud, which is legit. We saw all those things when we were there. (laughs) Um, Looked cool. Would not touch it. Um, Definitely don't do that. (laughs) um, But it was not until Hayden's team of geologists, botanists, and zoologists returned from their trip that the U.S. government had a full account of the area's wonders. So the first national park emerges. Hayden strongly asked for setting the Yellowstone region aside as a national park, and it did not take long for him to convince Congress. Congress approved the legislation in early 1872, and on March 1st of that year, President Grant signed the bill designating the 2.2 million acres of land as a public park for ple- or pleasuring ground. Oh, Blech. please. Ugh, God, I feel for, like was that the quote, quote, <laughs> a public park or pleasuring ground for the benefit and enjoyment of the people. It's like that freaking roller coaster episode I know. with the pleasure gardens. Uh, <laughs> Why do we love that word? <laughs> the second section of the bill gave the Secretary of Interior responsibility for the preservation from injury or exploitation of all timber, mineral deposits, national curiosities or wonders within said park and their retention in the natural condition so it was the department of interior was the one calling the shots um for a long time Mm -hmm. um so in the forest reserve act of 1891 it allowed presidents to proclaim permanent forest reserves on publicly owned land legislation that led to national forests The Antiquities Act of 1906 gave presidents the authority to protect sites of historical significance as national monuments. We see a lot of both of those things. Are houses included in that? Like historical homes? Do you know? 
it depends. Like, so Thomas Jefferson's home. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think it also, because obviously there's like state and local park and parks right. and recs too. So I think it just depends on the level mm. of the house mm-hmm. or, you know. Because I know that like, if you like downtown, for example, there's like historically mm-hmm. protected homes. Right. Because they have significance. Right. You know, or and so I built. And I don't think that's necessarily on a national level. Okay. Maybe just local government. I think it's on local or state, just depending on how significant it is to history. Yeah. Because I'm sure governors have like some Mm -hmm. type of power similar to this as well. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, But yeah, I think there's multiple levels. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, Congress also authorized the preservation of the four major Civil War battlefields during this era, designating them as national military parks. So after Yellowstone was confirmed, um, the other parks were Sequoia National Park in 19 or 1890, Mount Rainier in 1899, Crater Lake in 1902, and Yosemite in 1890. Sorry, I keep switching my numbers. Um, Over time, the federal government established policies on preservation of natural resources. Laws and presidential decrees, however, did not solve real-world administration problems. So, the plot thickens. (laughs) Clearly. They needed some oversight. The Department of Interior was not doing a great job of, like, managing all these people. (laughs) I did all that for you. (laughs) I know. I know. While some of the national monuments reserved under the 1906 Antiquities Act were located in areas controlled by the Department of Interior, um, others were on land supervised by the Department of War or the Department of Agriculture, mm-hmm. with responsibility divided among several departments who would make the rules and how would they be consistent? What a great question. Uh-huh. So the problem was no single federal agency had the authority to operate and advocate for these parks and monuments. And so basically in 1916, the National Park Service was born. It's just a baby. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) How exciting. Indeed. Indeed. So what do you think? Is that, is that good? Do you feel, do you have any questions? Questions, Questions, comments, concerns. <laughs> Life uh, problems. We would be here all, <laughs> all day. <laughs> no, I I think uh this is a good a good segue because I'm excited to hear about what structure they came up with. You know, you got all yes. these individual players and like how did they decide to combine them and like make it work so that like you know, like one park wasn't getting more attention than the other, you know. Right. It's, you right. Know, it's a lot to work out when you're at this scale. I think so. We will talk about all of that and how they solved those issues in the second half. And we'll also go over like the most visited national parks and like stuff like that. So stay Perfect. tuned. See you on the other side. Every week, you listen to the MCP host roll on and on about quote interesting topics. And yes, I did just use air quotes for that. We are positive your listeners would come up with better topics than them. And so we are enlisting you to send them over so we can talk more about exciting things in the future episodes. We highly encourage you to do yourself and other listeners a favor and start sending good topic ideas over to MediocreContentPodcast at gmail.com. We even give you permission to slide into their DMs over on Instagram at MediocreContentPodcast and Twitter at MediocreSquawks. If you don't decide to send topics over, prepare yourself for continued intense mediocrity. Though honestly, it will probably be mediocre either way. Thanks for trying, and good luck in the second half of this interesting podcast, air quotes still included. Welcome back! Uh, I'm excited. I love I love a good chart. I'm not so gonna I know lie. everyone was waiting with bated breath to figure out how the heck they organized the National Park Service. And I'm about to tell you. <laughs> I'm shaking in my boots. <laughs> Get ready. Um so basically the National Park Service, there's the head honcho, which is the director. Mm. 
the director has the chief of staff. Um, and then the office of native American affairs and the equal employment opportunity office. What? Those are their. Yeah. Yeah. I did not understand. What? The equal employment opportunity office is under the national park service. I think it might just be their particular one. Interesting. Because the director has these three people to that, like directly work with him, the chief of staff, the office of native American affairs and the equal opportunity office just to like, Hmm. that's his like board of people. Right. Okay. All right. Um, and then underneath that, there is the deputy director of operations, the deputy director of congressional and external relations and the deputy director of management and administration. Seems reasonable. Of the entire like nation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. No and then there's a bunch of little like there's a bunch of little. So the under the deputy director of operations, which I think is the most relevant for what we're talking about, mm. is um, the associate director of natural resources, stewardship and science, um, the associate director of cultural resources, partnerships and science, the volunteer associate director of education and volunteers. Associate Director of Park Planning and Facilities and Lands, and the Associate Director of Visitor and Resource Protection. And then there's Ooh. the regional directors. That's like a okay. really vast subset of it is ideas it is. and like roles. <laughs> yes. And there are several other, like for the Deputy Director of the Congressional and External Relations, as well as the Management and Administration Deputy Director, they also have people underneath them. But like for our purposes... Mm-hmm. I think we'll just stick with the deputy director of operations. Yeah. And if you've ever seen Parks and Rec, this is why <laughs> I was so, I it answered a question for me because I was like, why is Leslie like the deputy director of the parks department? That doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. Like, why isn't she just like, I don't know, somebody else that works there or like right. the one that's underneath Ron. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Ron. So, but, she, but she's called the deputy director Probably because they were trying to mimic like the National mm-hmm. Park Service structure, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Smart. So the regional directors—they all have their own little chunk of the nation. <laughs> there are, let's see. So there are twelve regions. Holy oh, cow! No, maybe yes, I think so. Let me just double check. I'm going to make this bigger. Okay. Yes, there are twelve regions. Um, let's see. So region number one is going to be like the Northeast Mm. area. So like New York, Maine, like up in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Region number two is the Southeast. You've got all your battlegrounds and stuff down there. I don't know what's there. (laughs) Um, Battles and stuff. Region number three is... Like the Michigan, Great Lakes, Minnesota, Ohio, like that area. Region number four is Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Nice. Number five, we've got part of Montana. Well, we've got Montana mostly, except for the part that's in Yellowstone. It looks like, mm, yeah. and then, and then the Dakotas, and Kansas, and what is that? I can't. My even favorite read it. Nebraska. Is, I was gonna say my favorite is actually region six and eight. I'm not gonna. Lie. Mm. So weird because so six is basically just Texas. I was gonna say Texas, Oklahoma. <laughs> it's a little ride along Oklahoma, right? And then seven is all the square states. So you've got your Wyoming, Utah, Colorado, New Mexico. Eight eight. is literally just the bottom half of California, a little tiny bit of Nevada, and then Arizona. Which is so weird. Why would they do that? (laughs) Well, I think it's because, and we'll talk about this, California has the most national parks and that makes sense because it's one of like the bigger states, but it has the most national parks. Um, and and so they probably wanted to divide it up in yeah. terms of the regions of the national parks so that there wouldn't be like five yeah. national parks in one. That makes sense. Just split I don't it. Know. Um, 
nine is Washington, Oregon, Idaho. And then 10 is the California, the top half of California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two thirds of California. <laughs> and then Nevada. And then yeah. you've got 11 is Alaska, which uh, that's fair because Alaska is very large. Yes. And then 12 is going to be Hawaii. Which is not as fair because it's quite small. <laughs> Guam and some other territories, I believe. Great. Maybe Puerto-, Puerto Rico it might be in there too. I think. I don't know. It's just a bunch of the, it's like the catch-all category. No, that like. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. It's <laughs> a there. lot. Um. So yeah, there's 12 different regions. Each region has a regional director and then it goes down through mm-hmm. like state government from there. Nice. Um. So we already know that there's 424 individual parks. Um, and so this kind of breaks it down a little bit of like what type. So if it's like a battlefield or um, mm-hmm. like an actual park. Um, so just some highlights here. There are 63 national parks. That's so many. That's so many. 63. Um, and like we talked about last week, some of them are visited more than others just mm-hmm. due to the popularity. I mean, Yellowstone, the OG, mm-hmm. uh, the OG. <laughs> super, super gorgeous and has like a ton of people, you know, yeah. millions of people every year go to Yellowstone. So, um, let's see. So there's 63 national parks. There are 83 national monuments. Most I'm- of them I would venture to say are in DC. I'm also surprised that number isn't higher. I know. Because there's so many monuments. But I feel like you're thinking of... Again, maybe that, local. I was going to say state. Yeah. No, right? You're right. You're right. No, that's right. Um, national is a little different. Yeah. They're a little more yeah. selective. I, well, I guess they'd have to be. <laughs> yeah. Given how many there are. Exactly. Um, there are 11 national battlefields, four battlefield parks which I don't, I guess is our adjacent to the battlefields, I would say, venture to say. Yeah. Um, There is nine national military parks, um, 63 historical national parks. I wonder what sets those aside. Different. Hmm. Which are different. (laughs) I don't like that at all because there's 63 of the regular national parks. That doesn't make any sense. I love that. I don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> there are 74 national historic sites. Um, one international historic site. Bro, they stole my idea. I know. <laughs> what the heck? I, that was my idea. Okay. I'm like really curious now. I'm going to the webpage so I can actually like see it in real time. Do you one think second. that some of these overlap? Uh, or are they probably. actual separate designations entirely? No, I think some of them overlap. Because I'm just thinking national historical parks and national parks being the same number tells me, well, maybe they're all historical national parks <laughs> because they're all it is, historical. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. But we'll <laughs> that that's so interesting. And it's the, it's the distinction between national battlefields, battlefield parks, and battlefield sites for me. Right. That's right. <laughs> like you could have just said national battlefields and I would have gotten the memo, you know? Right. No, exactly. It, uh, it's different. It's, why do you have to be so okay, different? Let's see. So, okay. So they are different. So, okay. So are there's, they? 11, there's 11 national battlefields okay. and they're all different from the national battlefield parks oh. and they're different from the national battlefield site. That's so weird and dumb. Super weird. I know. I know. Wow. And so now to answer our question, let me see. So yes. there are national historical parks. There are 63 mm-hmm. and they are all different. <gasps> they are no. all different because the national. So yeah, <laughs> the 63. Yeah. Because of all the other ones are like the national parks that you think of, like the Badlands, Arc- Acadia, um, all that stuff. Yeah. Why not just let they're all historic? Yes. One of them is Abraham Lincoln's birthplace in Kentucky. 
Um, they consider the, that a park? <laughs> the Adams National Historical Park in Massachusetts. Um, let's see. The Brown versus Board of Education National Historic Park in Kansas. Um, okay. So maybe I'm... The maybe Harriet I'm... Tubman Underground Railroad <laughs> National Historic okay. Park in Maryland. I feel like historical for them and park is very malleable. Because I think all of these sites are very important and historical, but I would not think, no offense, the Underground Railroad, I would not equivalent that to a park. Right. And so I'm going to click on it because- Like, why would that not be under National Historic Sites with the other 74? Right. You know? Yeah. Like, that's weird. Get it together, National Park Service. Your identification I, is weird. It's it's very broad. the The idea yeah. of a park is very broad, which is probably why they call them units in the first place. Ugh, units, just call them sites. <laughs> National historic sites. There are seventy four. Yeah, and not not a single not the one same. of them makes sense. Probably no. Let me see. Oh, oh, the Minutemen Missile National Historic <laughs> Site in South Dakota. I don't know. If you're Let's from South Dakota, on. um, fill me in. <laughs> I did. I did drive through there, and yeah. there's not a whole lot. It looks like the Windows screensaver where the oh. hills, you know. <laughs> what a time to be alive! <laughs> Let me see. Oh no! During the cord, during this. So this is what the Minuteman missile historic site is for anyone who cares. The missile is um, very <laughs> During the Cold War. Okay. A vast arsenal of nuclear missiles were placed in the Great Plains. Hidden in plain sight for 30 years, a thousand missiles were kept on constant alert. Hundreds remain today. The Minuteman missile remains an iconic weapon in the American nuclear arsenal, and it holds the power to destroy civilization, but is meant as a nuclear deterrent to maintain peace and prevent war. So basically, the National Parks Service has put on blast where the nuclear missiles are (laughs) now we know (laughs) i didn't need to know but now that i do i'm gonna do nothing with it yeah i got nothing have you seen on tiktok this is super random have you seen on tiktok the one about the milk um reserves in like missouri no yeah so apparently there the our nation makes more milk than we can possibly consume this does not surprise me and all. so there's a cave or something in Min- missouri yeah where they store the extra milk and use it as reserves in case of a nuclear apocalypse or something like that how is that not going bad right now i don't understand it either <laughs> i don't know uh, okay. and so yeah i don't i don't, I don't know I don't and know because people are eat, are drinking only like almond milk and oat milk now the regular milk people are mad this is this is what's blowing my mind right now. Have you ever seen an expiration date on a gallon of milk? Yeah. And we have milk reserves just Correct. in case. I'm so right. sorry. That milk's going to be cheese by the time apocalypse happens. So I All feel right. like you're just going to need to come Hold to terms on. with that. Hold on. This is taking a great turn. And I'm so excited to talk about this. This is what I should have done the podcast on is the milk reserve. Uh, we'll put it down for the next one. This will be a nice segue. <laughs> This is disturbing. I'm upset. Uh, Yes. Okay. So an article from The Modern Farmer says, yes, the government does really stash billions of pounds of cheese in the Missouri cap in Missouri caves. Oh, it is cheese. It's okay. Cheese. Oh, it's cheese. I'm okay. sorry. No, I was the very USDA confused. has kept cheese and other dairy products in cold storage caves for decades. Um, Butter and dry milk powder is also s- stored there. Hmm. Um. Wow. If you had millions of pounds of cheese along with butter and dry milk powders, where would you keep it? If you're the United States Department of Agriculture, the answer is obvious. It's a series of caves outside Springsville, Missouri. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel like aging cheese is definitely a thing. And if it ever comes to apocalyptic times and you're just wandering a cave one day and you just happen upon this massive butter cheese storage it's it's refrigerated i mean in a cave yeah okay <laughs> it's naturally but, refrigerated i think i mean yeah. sure but even the cheese in my fridge has a shelf life 
I know. Um, just so concerned. I guess technically it's a mold. So it okay. You know, blue so, cheese, you know. So the reason why they're doing this is because it's a great the, question. The price <laughs> of milk has always been volatile, jumping up and down mm-hmm. based on limited supply and fluctuating demand. It also doesn't help that milk production naturally rises in the spring with calving season, but demand for milk is generally at its highest in the fall when school starts again mm. to help the government looked for ways to step in and calm the market. So they created the the milk, the milk cave, I guess. This is a dairy cave. Um, <laughs> You're going to have cows outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> TikTok when, is ruining me. This is, yeah, this is wild. It's a cow farm. You're going to have cows outside. <laughs> um anyway anyway that national historical you're right you're so right i i'm about to sit here and read about the milk cave lost in the milk cave it's so weird i guess we're doing an episode on it oh my god i mean they said why i just don't know that it's the best reason for why i i would agree um i met you know what they should put it as a national park National Milk Park. Do you know? Okay, actually, new I so I have my international park idea. Now I have a new one. Okay. Mm -hmm. We make this cow cave a national park that everybody wants to visit, and then you can sample the cave cheese. Do you know how much cheese and milk shit we would get rid of if we just let people in the cave of cheese? Do you know how lucrative that would be? I mean, yeah. is that not the best idea anyone's ever had ever and then they could sell t-shirts of like i visited the milk the milk cave cave. are you kidding me people would buy it just because it's in a cave okay you don't even have to do any mark you could just say here is here's the dairy cave and they'd be like i want a sample of your cave butter cheese and milk (laughs) and i'll even take the powder cave milk i'll I'll take it all Okay. How lucrative. Wow. Wow. I just <laughs> I you know what? The government that's your free idea for the They're week. sleeping on it. Okay. Uh, they are. <laughs> I want cave cheese, kind of. I don't know if they want to get rid of it though. That's the other thing. Like I have to do more research to find out if they want it to be If you know what? If it's an excess cave cheese. So it's like limited openings. Yes. Where, so then that makes it more exclusive exactly. from like a marketing standpoint. Scarcity builds hype. Right. So and then, then you have to like plan around when yes. they're going to open. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you say limited supply, oh, 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 you know how much you could charge for cave cheese? <laughs> Probably outrageously too much. Outrageous. That $20 t shirt is now $35, and you're going to buy it with a side of $50 cheese, <laughs> cheese wheel. This from the is caves. like the American version of like French stinky cheese. We just have cave cheese. <laughs> just We're garbage. Stinky American cave cheese. Cave cheese. <laughs> no class. They just put it in caves. They're so barbaric. Right. The name of this episode should be cave cheese. <laughs> Changing it on site. <laughs> oh, man. That was great. Yes. I'm so- here for it. Anyway, we got a lot of uh, national monuments and sites and like none of it makes sense. Parks and rivers. The national rivers, there's only four of them. Mm. There's and so many rivers, though. I know. Um, mm-hmm. But I think they're just the big ones. So like, mm. and I closed, out of the, I closed out of the page. Hold on. Gosh, dang it, Blair. I know. Got, I've been out of shape about the cave. I did. I got really <laughs> distracted by the thing. I'll put it on our calendar for things to discuss at a later time. Yes. <laughs> I'm invested. Okay. National rivers are the Big South Fork National River and Recreation Area in Kentucky and Tennessee, the Buffalo National River in Arkansas, and then the Mississippi National River and Recreation Areas only in Minnesota, but like it goes all the way down. Mm hmm. We know this. We learned this. Yes. Um, and then the Ozark National Scenic Riverways in Missouri. Nice. Yes. So basically, there's a lot of stuff that's designated by the national park that doesn't actually qualify as like a national park. 
Um, yeah, the, the I feel like that's, that's the big takeaway. That's the moral <laughs> of the story here. Yeah. Um. So fun facts about that. Um, California has the most national parks with nine, followed by Alaska with eight, Utah with five, and Colorado with four. Wow. Mm-hmm. The newest national park is the New River Gorge National Park in West Virginia, and it was Ooh. designated on December 27th of 2020. I feel like I've actually been there. Probably. Or at least driven close Through to it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. White Sands National Park in New Mexico was upgraded from a national monument to a national park in on December of 20th of 2019. And the Indiana Dunes in Indiana, obviously, which changed its name from a national lakeshore to a national park in February on February 15th of 2019. I think so. Apparently you can like upgrade. Well, that's what I mean. I I would love I think. If I if I was really delving into this, right? Mm-hmm. If I really wanted to know, mm-hmm. uh, I would be looking at each individual uh like descriptors and like looking at the criteria, right? Like yeah. what does it have to meet to be considered one of these? And what would exclude it from being considered one of these? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And that I did not get to, obviously. No, that is fine. That is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2022. Um, there were 311,985,998 people that visited all of the national monuments, parks, etc. Like the National Park Service harvest data on this. Harvest nice. is a very tricky word to harvest. say. But they, they, like, I don't mean to say that they're like infiltrating farming. your phones <laughs> or farming, <laughs> but they do get data from people who buy tickets and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um since 1904 there have been 15 uh billion billion, billion yeah. 703,311,966 people who have ever visited a national park. That's insane in the United States. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so in 2022, so of course the pandemic, right, yeah, affected Mm -hmm. the National Park Service. It affected literally everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so in 2022 was the first uptick. Um, it was up 15 million visits from 2021, which is not as high as 2018 and 2019 because Mm -hmm. they were at like 300 million plus mm-hmm. um well 318 and 327 million yeah 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 um <clears throat> they this is good because it basically says they've recovered from pre to pre-pandemic levels again which That's is great fair. Yeah, yeah yeah um and tw- 2016 was the national park service centennial so they had hmm. been around for 100 years wow um, and that was like the record mm-hmm. amount of people that visited the national parks. Um, so that's what they're trying to get back to. Yeah, that makes it. Well, I get a little concerned too, because, you know, they had, was it Yellowstone that had like that bridge or that roadway collapse or something recently over the last year? There was one of the Possibly. national parks. Yeah. Possibly. And like, obviously these are, protected places and protected things but there are people who visit a lot obviously yeah um this is kind of a broad question do we think that they consider the pollution of foot traffic to these protected places so in my experience they have and this is just purely like Mm -hmm. my observations from being in the national parks they have first of all there's like certain trails you can go on right okay, like so yeah of the for yellowstone for example of the 2.2 million acres or whatever mm-hmm. it is um there's only certain places that people are allowed to go okay all um right. yeah so and then the other thing is is that they have 
like yes you can drive through the park and like from your car you can see buffaloes mm-hmm. like or bison excuse me not buffaloes <laughs> the buffaloes are going to be mad that you're misidentified i know them now. <laughs> i know um but like the number one rule mm-hmm. at the park and they have it like plastered everywhere is you know this is not your space right. this is the animal's space and the plant right. space this is not for you nice. you're here as an observe like an observation yeah time yeah um observer that's the word i was looking for nailed it <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. um there's i mean there's a lot of trash cans available um bear proof trash cans which are cool <laughs> kind of interesting um, yeah and then there's you know there's staff that make sure that everything stays clean and okay. you know doesn't interfere with the um the environment basically. okay yeah I, was, I mean i figured they yeah. had something in place but i'm just curious because you got that number of people visiting every year right it's gonna right. cause some kind of impact you know yeah yeah well and I'm sure there's, it's not zero, right? Sure, right. Um, yeah. But the other thing is, is like the parks need funding in order to maintain yeah. what it is. So it's kind of yeah. a catch-22 anyway. Yeah. Um, but from my understanding, unless you're like wanting to go out back camping and you want to just like get lost right. in the woods somewhere, there's really like, there's only certain real places that people go. Nice. And it doesn't include the entire park. Okay. Well, that's smart. Yeah. Um, okay. So there is a national, I just wanted to mention very quickly that there is a national park service app and I found it very fun to like use because they have maps of each park, obviously, and you can download them. So if you don't have service, which is the case for a lot of these, you can access those maps. They have, um, activities you can do, um, things you can learn about at each park it's like very nice and very compact and just an easy way to like plan your visits basically that's smart especially with how many there are they also on the website have a trip planner and there's 202 ideas on things you can do at multiple different parks and historical sites around the country now i did go on to see like (laughs) what their ideas were yeah and tbh it was not not what i thought it was not groundbreaking not groundbreaking at all um maybe it's just and a lot of it i think because a lot of it was these obscure like Mm. um like historical monuments in like arkansas or something you know it wasn't it didn't it wasn't like these are the trails you can hike at yellowstone and this is what you can do in one day or you know what i mean it yeah it, it wasn't it didn't quite hit yeah, the way I thought it was going to. So, if I had any feedback, that's what I would <laughs> doesn't hit right. Your trip planner. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. It's neat that they have one, but if it's not yeah. going to be what you need it to be, then it's not worth it. Yeah, but there are yeah. two hundred and two ideas. So if you get bored and you like <laughs> have been to all the national parks and you really need something else to do, go on there because they'll have something for you. <laughs> Let's just be out in left field somewhere. <laughs> right. It's like, wow, I've never been here before. And I'm that, but that's, yeah. So yeah. anyway. Great. Yeah. And that's, that's really all I have for you guys um, about national parks. I'm Excellent. a huge proponent. I love the experience I had at own and Arches and Zion National Park. Very cool. Well, I will remember those for the rest of my life. And like we've and we all we saw the Grand Canyon too. Yeah. And we yeah. hit a bunch of them. You know, like they're all just so beautiful. And if you need to go out and touch grass, I highly recommend you go and touch grass there. Yes, touch grass, mountains, sand, uh, rivers, whatever you can touch. <laughs> go yeah. out and touch it with respect. <laughs> yeah. Right. And don't touch poison ivy because that'll Oh god. That'll be the worst. Or cacti. Um, also bad right. experiences there. Right. <laughs> Yeah. But you can eat cacti. You yes, I've never done that before. It's not that great. Okay. <laughs> we were, we were, you just you can miss it. It's not something saved, saved me one <laughs> one thing. They make like fries and cactus jelly out of it. It, it ain't all that. I don't know. If you're oh. from there, I'm so sorry if that's insulting. I didn't really have a good time with it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's all how right. I feel like that's a good place to end. Yeah. <laughs> so um 
Feel free to send us an email with any questions, comments, concerns, or episode topic suggestions um, at MediocreContentPodcast at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at MediocreSquawks or follow us on Instagram at MediocreContentPodcast. You can also view all of our uh, audio, or well, view our audio. Um, I mean, kind of. It's pretty accurate. On YouTube <laughs> uh, at Podcast, and you can find us every other Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific and 6 p.m. Eastern on Twitch at Mediocre Content Podcast. Don't forget to rate us five stars anywhere you listen to podcasts and we will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>